chapter 10. I kind of feel sorry for Revelation chapter 10. It's kind of the neglected chapter in the book of Revelation. I mean, when, when you come to the book of Revelation, you're, you're looking for, you know, I mean, you're looking for all sorts of exciting events and grotesque-looking beasts and um, a variety of, I don't know, exciting, catastrophic-type events. I mean, chapter 10's got a really big angel, so that's really cool. But, you know, you want him to do something, you know? I mean, and you're thinking, well, maybe he's going to, like, blow stuff up and things like that. He doesn't. Chapter 10 doesn't have all the really exciting car chases and, you know, things blowing up. And This is not to say that chapter 10 is not an exciting chapter, nor is it to say that chapter 10 is an unimportant chapter. It's just an easily neglected chapter because it doesn't have, you know, weird-looking beings and things like that. Chapter 10 is an immensely important chapter as we continue our study in the book of Revelation. And in fact, really, chapter 10 to chapter 11, 14 form a unit. And it's rather unfortunate that I am unable to bring chapter 10 through 11, 14 together in one single message. I barely can get chapter 10 in. But because chapter 11 has numerous challenges and all sorts of interpretive ideas surrounding the two witnesses, we just need to spend... Chapter 11 is just going to uh, require that we spend a fair amount of time just on those first 13 or 14 verses. So I want to kind of give you a... A, a warning, I guess, or just make sure that you understand that as we go through chapter 10 um, and chapter 11, that while we split them up, chapter 10 through chapter 11, 14 form a very important unit in our study of the book of Revelation. And we do, we do, we do not do well to neglect them. And in many ways, chapter 10 sets up what we are going to understand in chapter 11. So just a, a quick overview of where we're going to go today as we consider um, Revelation 10. In Revelation 10, we are going to see that John is recommissioned as a prophet of God in order to exhort the people of God to remain faithful to the plan of God because the seventh trumpet is looming. All right, So John is going to be reaffirmed as a prophet and he is going to exhort, and we'll especially see this next week, exhort the people of God to remain faithful to God's plan. And this is especially important because the seventh trumpet is about to sound. And when the seventh trumpet sounds, what joy we will experience. Let me just give you a little bit of context and just bring everybody up to speed and remind us of where we are. First of all, in... 
what we've been saying is that John has been initially wrote to seven churches, these are seven churches in Asia Minor, and he gave them a word of Christ and exhorted and encouraged them to remain faithful to the things of God that many of these churches were being persecuted for their love of God and for their testimony of Jesus Christ. We saw that many of them were unable to buy or sell or even have jobs, or at least their jobs were diminished. It was difficult to do business unless you compromised and did unless you compromised and basically worshipped the false religion of the day. Two churches were not rebuked, but the other five churches were encouraged and exhorted and even rebuked for their compromising of their faith and allowing false teaching to come into the church and allowing their compromise with the culture to affect how they understood and lived for Christ. And then we began to see, immediately after that, we saw that John was given a vision of heaven in chapters 4 and 5. We should never forget that vision of the exalted, of God seated upon His throne and the Lamb who is slain from the foundation of the world because it is that vision that is going to keep us grounded as we go through the various cycles of judgment that we encounter in the book of Revelation. It is easy to get discouraged in a world that is compromised. It is easy to get discouraged in a world that belittles your faith. It is easy to get discouraged in a world that perhaps even um, persecutes you for your faith. But when we have an exalted view of God who is seated on the throne and the Lamb who is slain. These are the things that will keep you going and keep you strong in the day of trial. I believe they will even keep you strong in the day of prosperity because prosperity can be equally as detrimental to our faith as can persecution. And so we need to keep in mind this exalted view. We probably should go back periodically and read chapters 4 and 5 and see the beautiful and wondrous picture that John paints in that in that vision. And then we begin to see these these cycles of judgment. We see the sealed judgments and then we begin now we are into this uh, cycle of judgments, the cycle of trumpet judgments. One of the things Excuse me, there is something down here that I just keep stepping on and is driving me up the wall. That's not in your notes. One of the things we saw that as a pattern in, the, uh, in between the, the seal, the sixth seal and the seventh seal, was we saw an interlude. And there's going to be, so we saw an interlude between the sixth seal and the seventh seal, and now we're going to also see an interlude between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. And so in a world of demonic chaos and deception and destruction, there is an interlude. And the first interlude highlights how the people of God are protected by God from the tribulation that that was being encountered. It answered the question, who can stand? You'll recall when the sixth um, when the sixth trumpet sounded, we saw basically 
the judgment of Christ and the people said, who can stand before the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb? And chapter 7 answers that question. Who can stand? The one who can stand is the one who has been sealed by God, who has the name of God written on their forehead. And we saw um, the church um, both... We saw both the church militant, that is the church on the earth, um, encountering the persecutions of the day. And we also saw the church triumphant, that is the church that is glory, that is giving glory to God in heaven. And we see the church standing before the Lamb. Who can stand? Those who have the seal of God on their forehead. Those who know the Lord. They are the ones who will stand. And then the seventh trumpet, or the seventh seal was opened. Likewise, as we are in this cycle of, set of trumpet judgments, we also see an interlude between the sixth and seventh trumpet. This interlude also describes the protection of God's people in tribulation. This will be especially clear next week, how God protects his people. We see chaos, and we see deception, and we see... Um, Destruction happening all around, and we might wonder, what about God's people? And God very clearly tells us, my people are protected. I want you to understand, God protects his people. That does not mean that God's people will not, at times, even give their very lives for the sake of the gospel. This is not the protection that God is keeping them from. You will notice that those who give their lives stand before the throne and are giving glory to Christ. They end up the victors. The beast does not win. The beast may slaughter them. And in the very next moment, they are clothed in white, victorious, with eternal life, standing and giving glory to the God who saved them. Remember, the book of Revelation is allowing us to see things as they really are. And as we look on this earth, we may think that there are powers that have control and authority and dominion, and it looks like they are strong. But there is one who has authority and power and dominion who is truly strong, and that is the Lord God who sits on the throne and the Lamb who was slain and who purchased men from every tribe, tongue, and nation and language. So with that as our background, let's go ahead and we're going to read chapter 10 and then we will uh, look a little more closely at this uh, very important chapter in the book of Revelation. I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head and his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire, and he had in his hand a little book which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he cried out with a loud voice, as when, when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. Then the angel, whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, lifted up his right hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, and there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished, as he preached to his servants the prophets." 
Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me, saying, Go, take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, You must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. And so we begin chapter 10 with the the descent of the strong angel who is clothed with a cloud and rainbows upon his head and his face shone like the sun and his feet were like pillars of fire and... um, And his voice was like the voice of a lion when it roars. And so, many have sought to identify this angel with Christ. And one of the students of Scripture who I highly um, admire... um, Dr. Beal has uh, made a very, very strong case, makes a very strong case that this is actually Christ. He makes a very, very good case for it. Despite his years and years of study and his brilliance, I have a very difficult time of calling an angel Christ. And so I would tend to identify this angel as one who reflects the glory of his master. It should not surprise us that one who is in the presence of Christ reflects the glory of Christ. He does look a lot like Christ. He does bear a lot of the images and a lot of the descriptions that we see of Christ. And we should not be surprised that one who stands in the presence of our Lord would end up looking and displaying the characteristics of our Lord. After all, remember when Moses was on, saw the very glory, the back end glory of God. He came down from the mountain and his face shone with the glory of God. When you're in the presence of God, don't be surprised if you end up looking much like him. When we are outside of the presence of God, we tend to look a lot like ourselves and perhaps a lot like the culture and a lot like the world. But when we're in the very presence of our Lord, we tend to take on those characteristics. And so I would take that this angel who descends um, from heaven is simply that, an angel who reflects the glory of his maker. And he has in his hand a little book. One of the things we do in the, when we started the book of Revelation is try to identify all of the stuff that's going on. And so I guess we'll attempt to make a, have an understanding of what this little book is. I don't know exactly. I have some ideas. But I'm not going to be real dogmatic about any of them. I don't think that there's huge amounts of controversy or discussion here. Some people would say it's the same book as in chapter 5, the book that the the scroll that the Lamb opened, the scroll with the seven seals the Lamb opened, because this book now is is open. I suppose that's good. People struggle with the idea of the fact that 
it says little book, and the book in chapter 5 is not a little book, it's just a book. And then you get, when you get into all sorts of literary issues with this idea of little book, which will cause most of our eyes to glaze over, so we won't deal with that. Few of you will find it really interesting, but we can talk about that individually and in private for those who are interested. But I think one of our best ways to understand what this little book is, is the fact that it brings forth when John consumes it at the end of the chapter, when John takes it in, it produces a bittersweet message. And I believe that the bittersweet message that John is commissioned to proclaim is the gospel that brings both salvation and judgment. And so whatever this book is, I believe it contains the very words of God that bring both salvation and judgment. I think we can probably all agree that whatever this book is, it has God's authoritative, it is God's authoritative word, and it brings both salvation and judgment. And so this this strong angel comes and he places his foot, one foot on the sea and one foot on the land. So this is a big being. The idea of placing your foot on the land and the sea would have the idea to place your foot on something would be to claim it as your as authority. It is to claim it as your own. Uh, a great example we see in Joshua chapter 10 verse 24 says, And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. This is the idea of I have authority, rulership, ownership. You are defeated. I am in charge. And so we see this angel who comes in the authority of Christ, placing his feet on the land, declaring that Christ is the authority over all that exists on the land and that he is the authority over all that occurs in the sea. And so kind of as an ambassador or a conqueror back, uh, who would come and stake a claim in the land and says, I claim this. This belongs to the king of whatever. This angel descends as an ambassador of the king, reflecting the glory of the king, saying, earth and the sea and all that it contains is mine. It belongs to heaven. It belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ. We should also take note that in a few weeks we're going to be observing a a dragon who comes up out of the sea and he conjures a beast who comes up out of the sea and he also conjures up another beast who comes from the land. These beasts, this dragon are under the authority of the one represented by this angel. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. And so when we encounter this beast, when we encounter the dragon, it is imperative that we remember, as powerful as this dragon is, as powerful and cruel as the beast is, as deceptive as this false prophet is, They are not the authority. And they do not rule in heaven and earth. It is the Lamb of God and the one who sits on the throne who rules and the heaven and earth and all that it contains belong to them. 
And as this angel cries out with a loud voice is when an angel roars, we, we witness the seven peals of thunder uttering their voices. And then John is told, John's about to write down, and here's these seven peals of thunder, and he's about to write down what these seven peals of thunder say, when all of a sudden the voice tells him, don't write down, shut up what you have, what you have heard. Don't reveal it. Doesn't that seem interesting to you? What's the name of the book we're studying? Revelation. And nobody said Revelation is plural, right? Because if so, you owe a dollar. That's the rule, right? (laughs) Revelation is an unveiling, right? It is a revealing. And so it seems, I don't know, I'm reading this and I'm like going, wait a second. This is the book of Revelation. Why do we hear this, is this voice proclaiming something and then John is told, don't reveal it. So of course that gets you questioning and you start thinking, what's going on here? Seal up the words. I would say that the voice that told him this most likely is the voice of God. I would say so because in Psalm chapter 29... Verses 2 through 5, we hear this. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in holy array. The voice of the Lord is upon the water. The glory of, of the God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. And then we read in Job chapter 37, verses 4 and 5. After it, a voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice. He does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. God thunders with his voice wondrously, doing great things which cannot, which we cannot comprehend. And so we hear these seven thunders. And I believe that it is God's voice speaking out. And it is God who tells John, don't write what you just heard. It's so odd then that secrecy is called for in a book that, about revealing. But God reveals and then he commands that it, it is to be sealed. A couple of lessons I think we can learn from this. And that is we can take from Deuteronomy 29.29, right? God has revealed various things to us. And there are yet the secret things of, that are God's and they belong to him. There are some things that are God's and they do not belong to, to people. We just don't know everything. You don't know everything there is to know about God. You know what He's revealed, and He's revealed it in His Word, and we are blessed by that, and He's revealed it, but we do not have the totality of God's wisdom and knowledge and understanding and everything that God knows. We don't have. Some of His purposes, sometimes we ask, why God? You ever ask that question? Why God? Or perhaps you've asked, why me, God? And you never get an answer. And you say, I'm going to ask God about that when I see him face to face. And perhaps you will. And perhaps you'll be so enthralled with his glory that you'll forget all about all that. Paul also was forbidden to speak of revelations that he saw. He says that he knew a man, I believe it was he was speaking of himself, who was taken up to the third heaven, which is the highest heaven. This is the throne room of God. And he saw things that were just unbelievable and he says I was forbidden to speak that so I saw things I can't even tell you of course nowadays 
from what we're told, if you're taken into heaven and you see the glories of heaven, you write a book and you get a movie deal out of the thing. Paul says, I'm not even going to tell you what I saw. I'm forbidden. John saw the very glories of heaven and he fell on his face like a dead man. But perhaps we should best understand the words of the peals of thunder by this phrase that there will be delay no longer. That is further delay of the consummation of God's plan that will be revealed by the seventh trumpet. When that happens, it's done. Some people have put forth, I think it's a, it's a fairly, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a good position. But since there is going to be no delay, perhaps this voice of the thunder was the possibility of further judgments coming. But because there is to be delay no longer, seal it up, there's going to be no more judgments. The seventh trumpet is going to sound. <clears throat> And the consummation of all of God's plan from beginning to end is about to occur. So this angel comes and we see all of this stuff going on. The strong angel descends and he, he, he carries the image of Christ and he puts, he puts his feet on the land and on the sea and he cries out with a loud voice. Some Seven thunders roar, I believe the very voice of God. John is told to seal that up. And then the angel raises his, raises his right hand toward heaven and makes an oath. I love this idea here. Just think of this picture. A foot on the land, a foot on the sea, and a right hand extended towards heaven. All of creation now is being declared in this oath. The heavens, the earth, and the sea, all three spheres are under the sovereign hand of God. We should always remember that. It was Abraham Kuyper who said that everywhere you might go in the universe, Christ claims as mine. As we extend our abilities to peer into the furthest and the deepest depths of the cosmos we can see hundreds and thousands and millions of light years away and we can see stars being born and stars dying we see giant magnificent stars and galaxies and wherever you would go in that universe Jesus is mine and this angel stands on the earth and on the sea. It is mine. And he raises his hand to the cosmos saying, they are mine. And he lifts up his voice and he swears by the one who lives forever and ever, who created the heaven and the things in it and the, on the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. He swears by the God who lives forever and ever. He is the self-existing God. There are a lot of books and commentators and people out there who tell you that men created God. Make no mistake, God created man. God is eternal. God is 
from beginning to end. He has no beginning. He has no end. He has always been and he will always be. This is the God we serve. He did not come into being by accident. Oh, wow, here I am. What am I going to do? I'll create stuff. God has always been and God will always be. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll continue to sing His praises. We will never cease to be in the very presence of God. That is the plan of God for the people of God. He is also the creator of all things. We should take comfort in this fact. Creation is not a series of accidents or mutations that happen to come about to chance and by happenstance. You are not an accident of creation. You did not arise out of the slime and you crawled out of the slime on four, four feet and a couple of fins with some gills and then eventually you stood up and then eventually you became what you are God has created you in his image we do not have a low view of humankind in that you are created by God you are created for God so the angel swears by him who lives forever and ever I am so glad that God is eternal God being eternal, God knows tomorrow. And he holds tomorrow in his hand. You fear tomorrow. You fear what's going to happen. I want you to know, God holds tomorrow in his hand. He is not caught off, off guard by tomorrow. When tomorrow surprises you and the events of tomorrow surprises you, God has already been there and God has already made a plan for you for tomorrow. And this angel declares, there will be no delay any longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh trumpet, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. What an amazing passage of scripture. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, we're about to see that in a week or two. When he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophet. The seventh trumpet is going to bring about the consummation of the plan of God. No more delays. In the days of the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God will be fulfilled. All that has been fulfilled in the prophets is going to be revealed and fulfilled. I think we want to understand what is the mystery then of God that is going to be finished. Well, mystery is simply a word that is used in the Bible to describe things that have been hidden by God but have now been revealed. And we see in Romans chapter 16, verses 25 and 26, listen to what Paul writes in this often neglected, Romans is such a beautiful book, and we often neglect chapter 16. I would encourage you, don't neglect chapter 16. What an amazing chapter. But Paul writes this, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past but is now manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith the mystery was the gospel that would lead all nations to the obedience of faith we also see in Ephesians chapter 1 um, verse 
verses 9 and 10, this mystery also explained. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. Basically, the mystery is this, the summing up of all things in Christ made known through the prophets. And so we have this mystery that is God's plan to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven, things on the earth, the whole history of the world that has been prophesied in the Old Testament and the New Testament will be completed with the sounding of the seventh trumpet. We should take a quick look at what happens in the seventh trumpet. I don't want to give that away, but oh, my goodness, what a beautiful, beautiful thing. This is what, this is the mystery, all of God's history from, from beginning to end is now summed up in the seventh trumpet. And we see this in chapter 11, verses 15 and following. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to You, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because You have taken Your great power and begun to reign, and the nations were enraged, and Your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time Time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened and the ark of his covenant appeared and there were flashes of lightning. Folks, do you see what happens in the seventh trumpet? The mystery of God, the history of all of God's promises spoken through the prophets now come. And the kingdoms of the world become the kingdoms of his Lord, of, of our Lord and his Christ. And the wicked are judged, and the righteous are vindicated, and they will live forever and ever with God Almighty. The seventh angel, in the days of the coming of the seventh angel, the mystery will be revealed, and the kingdoms of the earth will become the kingdoms of God and of His Christ, and all things will be summed up in Him, who is all and in all. What a wonderful, wonderful passage of Scripture. Folks, we look forward to that day. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. This is our hope. The appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples are looking at Jesus ascending. And angels came and asked them, Men of Galilee, why are you looking up in the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And we see this same return of Christ in Second Thessalonians 1.10, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, Matthew 16.27. The mystery of God, the plan of God fulfilling his purpose in heaven and earth are going to be Revealed with the sounding of the seventh trumpet. This is our hope that God, who created the heaven and the earth, will bring to pass everything that He has planned to accomplish. God has revealed what He is going to do to His prophets. This is the true story of the world, and God has sent His angel to show His servant John the things that must soon take place.
And then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me, saying, Go, take the book which is, in the op- which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter. But in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said, said to me, You must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Folks, this echoes very closely with Ezekiel chapter 2 and 3. You should probably go back and read Ezekiel chapter 2 and 3 where Ezekiel the prophet this is the commissioning of Ezekiel as a prophet of God. All right? Prophets were, at least the, the major prophets that we see were commissioned. We see this in Isaiah 6, and we see this in Jeremiah 1, and we see it in Ezekiel chapter 2 and 3. They are commissioned by God as prophets of God, and Ezekiel chapter 2 and 3 is Ezekiel's being commissioned as a prophet of God, and he is being commanded. Ezekiel is being commanded. I'm going to give you a book. It is my word, basically. It's the word of judgment. And I want you to read it. Commissioned to prophesy. Ezekiel was commissioned to prophesy against the people of Israel who rebelled. And in chapter 3, verse 10... We are told, basically, take into your heart all of my words. I believe that when Ezekiel takes God the, the scroll and he eats it, he's taking into his very being the very words of God that he is going to prophesy. This is what's going on in, in Revelation. John is being given the words of God and he is taking them in he is being recommissioned as a prophet we already saw in chapter 1 verse 1 that he is a prophet he is about to be recommissioned as a prophet of God because the things that he's going to be declaring next week um, we're going to need to know that these are true words of God we need to understand that the rest of this book are the true words of God John isn't just making this stuff up John isn't just saying, well, you know, I got a pretty good idea of what I want to say and some cool things that are going to happen. These are the true words of God. That the kingdoms of the earth become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ are the true words of God. That the people of God will be vindicated for standing firm on the words of God and not compromising. We need to know that that is the true word of God. That God will sustain you through no matter what. We need to know that those are the true words of God. Take into your heart all of my words. They were sweet in his mouth as God's word brings delight to the believer. We see this throughout the scriptures. Um, in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, just like Ezekiel had said that the words were sweet, the, the words um, for John were sweet. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for I am called by your name O Lord God your words were found I consumed them and your words became to me a joy and a delight is God's word a joy and a delight to your heart do you long to, to consume and to take God's word in oh folks let us never neglect the reading and the study of God's word we also then continue to read over um, in Psalm 119, 103. Let's go forward one more slide. 
You see, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And so we see the word of God coming and being consumed and it is sweet to the taste. But it's also bitter and it is bitter because it contains a prophecy of judgment that must soon occur. And so we see this bittersweet word of God that John that John has and he must reveal it to the churches that the wrath of God is coming upon a world through this cycle of judgments and it's going to culminate in the sweet words that Jesus is coming again folks in this fallen world believers are going to face the satanically empowered beast and the seductive harlot believers may even lose their lives but when that happens they are immediately raised to new life and they will reign with Christ they cannot be defeated John is a true prophet of God. Established by this event, it is comparable to the commissioning of Ezekiel as a prophet of God. So John, I'll conclude with this. John was given this revelation. If we go back to chapter 1, verse 1, we see that God gave the revelation He gave it to Jesus, who gave it to an angel, who gave it to John, who was obedient and gave it to the seven churches, and now that message comes to you. Will you be obedient with the message that God has given? God has called us to declare the gospel throughout to the world. Are we going to be obedient with the message? Are we going to declare the bittersweet message of the gospel? It is bitter because it does contain judgment. If you do not repent, you will die in your sins. That is the bitter part of the gospel. It is sweet because all who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I don't care what you've done or where you've been. God will deliver you out of that mess and out of that mire. And he will give you a new heart. And he will write his name upon your forehead and declare you his. So that no matter what happens on this earth, no matter what beast or harlot comes up against you, you will stand and be declared his. We can be confident that God is going to accomplish everything that he has planned. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is going to bring about all of his planned purposes? Not one of his promises will fail. Not one. Finally, God has given us his word to inform us of those plans and how we are to live. God's plans are going to be fulfilled and God has told us what those plans are and how we can live in light of them. That's his word. I'll conclude with this verse. John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I, have, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Do you believe those words? That's the plan of God, revealed by the prophet of God, to the people of God, so that no matter what happens, folks, you will stand and be firm and unmovable and unshakable, whether it's compromise or whether it's all-out hatred towards you, you will be able to stand in the very presence 
of your enemies and even if they appear to be victorious you will be in the presence of God Almighty and you will give glory to him forever and ever because he will save you he will bring about his purposes and his plans let's stand and let's sing our father you are great and you are